Let me pray. Heavenly Father, just give this to you. Holy Spirit, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, be here. Be among us. God, we're looking at a story today that has a lot of tragedy in it. But God, thank you. Because of you, Jesus, we can be in you. We are blessed by you. We are filled by your presence. Holy Spirit, help us to keep our eyes on you rather than take our eyes off anything else. Holy Spirit, just enable us today as we look at this story just to understand more of what you want to do through it, we pray. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Morning, my name is Jeeves. I'm one of the elders here. I always have the joy of overseeing the North 18's work. Um, so if you're a visitor, it's so great for you to join us today. We're going for this story, kind of calling it the greatest story as we look through different parts of the Bible, just as we kind of map it together and understand it a bit. And if you've joined us for the last kind of two weeks, last week we ended up hitting this beginning slippery slope, as it's not been that great from humanity. In Genesis 3, we've had Adam and Eve sin, and we're going to see the effects of this sin and effects of these actions over the next few weeks, really. And we come to a moment right after this about two sons. What's amazing is just before this, you have this prophetic word, the first prophetic word brought by God, that deliverance will come and the head of the snake, the enemy, will be stamped upon and freedom will come once again. Praise God. Good, you can respond to that. Praise God. It's good news. And so today we're looking at a story, like I said, about two brothers. And truthfully, the story of Cain and Abel is a bit of a Sunday school story. It's kind of one that is touched upon and it's kind of shared about about these two brothers and one hurts another. And it's kind of paired up with um, kind of the message. I was going to create a song for this, I thought against, but don't punch your brother in your mouth like that. That's kind of the the song that is kind of paired up with this, this lesson. But actually, if you dive into the story... You see variety of things. You, you see the full depravity of man start to emerge. You, you see then lessons to unpack our relationship with God and how we're meant to interact with him. You do also see a need and a point to a savior to come. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So let's dive in. The video has kind of already helped. But let's dive into the story. Genesis 4. We're going to really just look at the first seven verses, but I'll talk through it as we go. <clears throat> now Adam and Eve knew, uh, and now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. What you have then is this part where they are called, they are instructed to kind of carry out a sacrifice to the Lord as faith as part of his promise. And that's what you see in the next few verses from verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions highlight that for a second and the Lord had regarded for Abel and his offering but for Cain's offering he had no regard so Cain was very angry and his face fell God sees both sacrifices on his Abel's not Cain's Cain gets angry and he starts to let that feeling fester God calls him out 
See, verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do, well, uh, if you do not uh, do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, if you know the story, Cain ignores that calling, takes Abel to a field, kills him. And as you heard from the video, a curse is put on the land. It'll be hard to raise crops. God calls him out, and you get this famous phrase, am I my brother's keeper? Kind of classic phrase. Cain then leaves. He kind of leaves the land. He kind of symbolically leaving the presence of God. But God graciously puts a mark over him to protect him. And the rest of the chapter we'll talk about in a bit, but it just goes lower and lower. I don't know about you, but when I read these stories, especially in the Old Testament, I start forming questions naturally to just help understand why they're there. For example, why did God reject Cain's offering? Why did that happen? What brought Cain to murder Abel? To murder him? Or even, why is this story, why is it in the Bible? Like, what's the point of it being there? Well, after what we've seen. So, help me as we unpack these questions together. So, first one, why did God reject Cain's offering? Well, the offering itself is taking place because this is the example given to God, uh, given to their parents by God. Genesis 3, verse 21, you have right after they've sinned, Adam and Eve have sinned, God slaughters an animal before them to clothe them. So in a way, he slaughters an animal to clothe their shame, pointing to the slaughtering of the scapegoat to come to cover humanity's shame. It's kind of what that pointing is towards. In fact, this offering itself is part of what's written in Leviticus as the atonement. It's kind of the sacrifice of the atonement, which they would have to do on a regular basis, annual basis, of slaughtering an animal, sending one as a scapegoat, as in sins walking away, and the other one slaughtered as a direction to Jesus. So this example from the very beginning was kind of given to them. And so they would have had to do this offering. So imagine, you take a newborn lamb. Newborn lamb, precious. It's kind of the next stock of flock that is to come in. You take it with its fat. The fat was considered the prized bit. You see that regularly throughout the Old Testament. So our Samuel's sons that decided to dip into the offering and take out the fat saying, we'll have that bit for ourselves. The fat was often considered the prized bit. And you see that. You see that Abel took the lamb, the firstborn of the flock, with its fat portions, called out to make it very clear it was the best. It's the firstborn. And was to put to sacrifice. In a way, saying, God, I'm giving you my all. The same way that you've modeled this to me, I want to obediently, with faith, do this for you. So what about Cain? What about Cain? Well, Cain bought some fruit and veg and decided to offer it up. And that would have probably been very regular for him to gather. Now, an easy question would be, we're saying, well, why does that kind of matter? I mean, fruit and veg, roasting fruit and veg smells lovely. Why is that an issue? Well, it's kind of two things to note that are really important. 
the first thing, the setup of speaking about the brother's role for what they're looking after is not meant to indicate to us that Cain brought the wrong fruit and veg. I.e., it's not because he didn't bring the most perfect thing. It's, it's not referring that he brought pears where he was meant to bring mangoes. Like, that's not what this is kind of calling out. The second thing is, Cain would have been shown and instructed exactly in the same way as Abel was. He would have been shown about the sacrifice of the newborn. He would have been shown how to do it, and yet he didn't. He would have been instructed in the same way. So Cain bringing fruit from the ground was out of casualness, sort of empty or half-hearted obedience and faith. Cain chose to sacrifice in his own ways rather than following God's example to him. So God honors Abel and rejects Cain offering, not because of the content of the offering, but of the heart of the offering. And I've used the word a few times, in particular, the faith behind the offering. Faith is the difference maker. It has to be. An animal sacrifice does nothing by itself, but mix it with a mustard seed of faith, and it can please God. Or as Calvin puts it, Abel's sacrifice was preferred to his brother for no other reason than that it was sanctified by faith. For surely the fat of brute animals did not smell so sweetly that it could, by its odor, odor pacify God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Or put it the other way, only with faith will our obedience please God. It's ritual versus submission. Cain did it out of routine and necessity to tick a box. Abel did it out of faithful obedience. The call here is to be obedient with what God has given you and to offer it up with faith. Not that it will generate blessing for us, but that it would be put forward to advance the kingdom of God. Take giving, for example, with money and with time. With money, if you're offering up to God your scraps, then even if your scraps are 10,000 pounds, it would be seen as worthless to God. Why? Well, your heart is saying, you deserve my second best. You deserve my leftovers. I've generated this. I don't need you. So here's my petty cash. Be gone. But if you have 50p, like the woman, the widow in Luke 21, who offered up two copper coins, and that is your first fruits, that's your best that you're offering up to God, then the wealth of that will be more than 10 million pounds to him. Why? Faith. Faith is the difference maker. It's the upside down kingdom because he's recognizing that he gave us all the fruits. It all came from him. So it all belongs to him. That's faith. What are your first fruits when it comes to money? 
whenever my pain comes in, this is kind of what Catherine and I, we do. Whenever our pay comes in, we have a standing order that goes directly to the church. And I work for the church. <laughs> we have a standing order that goes directly to the church. And, and the reason why we do that, and I know I've heard some preachers that say, put something in the basket, it kind of models that. The reason why we have a standing order that directly goes is because we're saying, God, I want you to have our first fruits. The first thing that comes in, is the first, I, I want to give it to you first before anything else. It belongs to you because you've given me this. And when it comes to uh, certain kind of offering days, like at New Day or at conferences, or what is going to happen here on the 29th of October, we pray about it and we give on top of our regular giving. Why? Because again, I'm saying, God, I want to invest into what you're doing because you've given me this to invest in anyway. So it belongs to you. It's not mine. So we, we're trying to be really kind of, um, I don't know what the right word is, um, proactive about doing this rather than just passive about letting it kind of flow in and not. With the giving day coming on the 29th of October and in general, with kingdom giving, where's your faith? Where's your heart? How are you making sure that God is giving, uh, you are giving your first fruits to God? How are you praying about it? I hope that from today up to the 29th, you are regularly praying, saying, God, what do you want me to give? Rather than just, yeah, that'll do. Don't be casual about it. Give him your best. What about with time? How do you use your time? Or let me rephrase this. How casual are you with God? How casual are you with him? If you're a believer of God, then is coming to church a tick box thing that is a pastime so you can watch, you can enjoy the teas and coffees and you can go? Or are you being part of the family of God? You can't play your part in the family of God if you aren't giving him your first fruits, saying, God, I want you to give you my time because you gave me life, life to the full, and you've given me time. Therefore, I want to use my time to honor and glorify you. We've spoken a lot about serving, but it's not because we have operational gaps in the church. I need you to know this. We will always have operational gaps in the church. It is the nature of church work. There will never be a moment that we won't need more people. We will always need more people to get involved. It's not because of that that we're talking about serving. Beloved, the reason why we're talking about serving is because we want you to be part of the kingdom of God. We want you to get involved. I'm not bothered about your works. I'm not bothered about your actions. I'm bothered about your faith. I'm bothered about your faith. And from that, works and actions pour out. I want us to cultivate faith to believe that God will use our first fruits of time to expand the kingdom of God. The best conversations I have about Christ is normally not on Sunday mornings. I have great conversations on Sunday mornings, but it normally happens on Sunday evenings or Tuesday lunchtimes when I'm serving in youth work or I'm involved in Trinity's Christian Union. And the reason why is because I'm saying, God, you have given me time and you care about the next generation. Therefore, so will I. Have my time for the kingdom of God. 
that you would use my faithful obedience to see what you're going to do in the next generation. That's why I'm bothered. That's what I'm serving. If you want to know where to serve, come speak to me, come speak to one of the elders, come speak to the staff. There will always be a gap operationally, but we're more bothered about your faith. Give God your first fruits. Second question. What brought Cain to murder Abel? It's a really interesting question, and we kind of get the answer really from the beginning of the story. The name Cain in in kind of the ancient text in Hebrew means, I have gotten, or I have acquired. Named wrongly as if the promise to Eve about the uh, promised one stamping on the snake's head was that she was going to give birth to him. So she thought, it's Cain. Abel, uh, Abel. Abel means vanity or worthless one. In a sense, Eve has got the acquired one, so forget this second child. Forget this worthless one. Imagine that, growing up. Imagine the kind of the dynamics of it. Consistently came whenever his name is said, oh, the great one, the deliverer, who will snap on the snake's head. Oh, precious one, that is great. Oh, and your brother Abel. Yeah, 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 nah. Not worth the breath to even say his name. If you even look grammatically, and I've kind of modeled it here, in some NIV translations, it even has a paragraph break. So look at the words, Eve, Paul, Cain, I've gotten a man with the help of God. And Adam, she, um, sorry, not Adam. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Full stop, paragraph break. Grammatically, even it's as if, I don't care. So from the very beginning of the story, you have this dynamic between the brothers. So when God does not like Cain's offering and honors Abel, Cain's pride gets in the way. His lack of faith in his hardened heart causes him to start to react. Yet God, by his grace, calls him out because God sees his heart. And you get this warning, verse 6 and 7 in particular, just to highlight it in verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. The warning is really clear. Don't give in. The late Tim Keller describes the word crouching as if it's like a tiger kind of snarling and uh, like kind of uh, prowling for the antelope to be distracted by the watering hole. I'm, I'm a parent, so I'll do a lot of animal noises now. So it's like snarling, like, yeah, it's good, eh? It's not bad. Give me a cardboard tube and it sounds amazing. Like, but it's like this snarling sound of this tiger that's prowling to be able to capture the antelope who's distracted by the watering hole. That's what the word crouching kind of embodies. God graciously, with direct challenge, brings this to Cain's attention. And it's Cain's decision to ignore it and fall into grave sin. Because that's what sin feels like. Sin feels like death. It takes, it seeks to destroy and takes you further and further away. By the way, the sin started before the murdering happened. It was allowing the thoughts to fester in Cain's hearts and mind 
before even making the decision. And sin does not go away easily like that. They can be turned into habits and have grave consequences. In fact, you see in this story, if you look further in in Genesis 4, you see that Cain regrets his actions, but is more concerned about the consequences that he has to bear than about what what he has done and asking forgiveness for how he has treated Abel. He's more bothered about the consequences than he is about, truthfully, the repentance of actions of what he's done. That's what sin can do. It's easy to ask for forgiveness when you've done something, when you fall into action. But the journey up to it is the crouching tiger. It's the hard part you've got to deal with. For example, it's easy to ask for forgiveness when you've honked your horn and said profanity to an annoying driver. What's hard is the journey leading up to that, every single action that comes up to the moment where you then do that action. It's hard to control that. The choices that Cain makes by not humbling himself when his brother does something well in the eyes of the Lord turns into a sinful decision. Two helpful questions just to kind of take us through this. One, what is your reaction when someone does something well that exposes a weakness or a bad habit in your life. One John, uh, in the, uh, one of the letters from John, 1 John 3, 12, he used the example Cain. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Cain could not bear to deal with his brother's success or his brother's righteousness in the eyes of the Lord. How do you deal with it? How do we deal with it? Do you keep them away? Do you avoid them to not make you feel down or or make you feel bad? Or do you even insult others, kind of plunging the metaphorical knife in your brother's or sister's back? Do you criticize them, but mask it as banter, because that's the English humor, but really you're trying to tear someone down to kind of neutralize their actions in the eyes of the Lord? How often do you criticize worship? Like at home after the service. How often do you kind of tear down what is spoken? I'll tell you what, as a speaker, as a preacher, I, I find myself, though I'm confident, there are times where I go to conferences or places that I end up being quite critical or negative. There are moments where I am weak and I'm feeling low and I hear a preach and I start criticizing them. What I'm actually doing is I'm being jealous about how God's using them. I'm jealous how God's using them. And so I'd rather find little holes to kind of nitpick and criticize so I feel better about myself because I'm not doing as well as them. When you hear stories about salvation, when you hear stories about healings, how do you react? Steve Addison from Cooley gave a good example of we, we, they don't do golf clap church, um, of just clapping at stories and just having a nice little golf clap, where truthfully, more commonly than not, I wonder how with our reactions, when we hear stories from God, we're kind of like, uh, yeah, it's great, isn't it? Glad that you got healed. Like, I, I wonder if that's our reaction. How are we when that happens? I'm learning to jump for joy when God moves in other people and God uses other people. I'm learning that their success with the kingdom is good news for me. It's great news. 
I'm learning to celebrate others more, as Philippians 2 verse 2 says, of completing others' joy, that their joy becomes my joy because the kingdom of God has advanced. I'm learning. How are you on this journey? The second question I think that helps is how are you dealing with the hidden tiger of sin? How are you dealing with this crouching, prowling tiger? God saw Cain's heart and he sees yours, even if on the outside all looks fine. Therefore, decisions we make in dealing with our hearts are really crucial. Keller furthers the analogy by saying, if you see a crouching tiger, you have a chance. You can be two steps ahead. The dangerous moment is when you can't see the crouching tiger because that's the moment it can pounce. Decisions we make with our actions, thoughts, and minds really matter. Like our opinion on ethics. Like our opinion on ethics and what the world is saying. If we don't have an opinion and we just walk with what the world is doing, we fall into continuous crouching tigers that are going to take us away from the theology of the Bible and take us into the trap of sin. We need to be well-educated on what the theology of the Bible is saying so we have an opinion about what the world is speaking about. How are you? Or, Or take how you feed yourself, content that you show yourself, movies that you watch, movies that your kids watch. If you're watching horror movies or movies that have messages that are of the world, you're allowing yourself and your children to fall into crouching tiger pits that has influences of the world or even influences of the, of the demonic and you're allowing that to feed you that will affect behavior but more importantly will affect your relationship with God we need to be aware of this we've got to learn how the crouching tiger subtly calls us to fall for example when I struggle with lustful thoughts It starts with small actions of watching videos that are unhelpful and me not clicking off them. Allowing them to fester, allowing videos to play. And now on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, there's there's more content that has become easy accessible that are not good for righteous eyes. And allowing them to fester and increase and grow until I've fallen into something that I didn't want to do. Or something small happens at the beginning, something ridiculous that frustrates me. Like dirty sink. And allow that to fester and increase and other small things to add on to that until I start getting annoyed by people and, and I start thinking ill of people. Or even worse, I start thinking ill of myself and I fall into an explosion that causes me to say something or do something that I don't want to do. And what has fallen into that? Hey, it's human, but we've got to watch it. The end action is not where the tiger begins his prowl, it's at the beginning. Notice it, capture it. I want to make this quite clear. Knowing that God sees your heart is not condemnation, it's freeing. Because something can be done about it. You can deal with it. Give it to the foot of the cross. Let Christ have it, cut the food supply of the tiger, let the tiger starve and die. Be done. You can deal with it. I really feel this stuff that we're going to deal with in a bit today. So last question. Why is the story in the Bible? Why is the story here? 
the filthy, filthy, slippery slope of humanity has started to get really bad within one chapter. And if you read the rest of the chapter, it gets a lot worse. It's about to get a lot worse, people. Buckle in. In fact, what you see at the end of this is that Cain walks away from the presence of God, just like his parents did. And his great-great-great-grandson, Lamech, is completely evil. Now, the first thing he does, he marries two women. It's the first time you've, you've got that in the Bible. And it goes completely against the model of marriage that God set in two chapters before. In only a few generations before. He then goes and slaughters cities. And in fact, the first poem in the Bible is Lamech celebrating how he's more evil, more sadistic, and killed more people than Cain. The story's gone left. It's taken a turn. The slippery slope really has begun. The sanctity of life has been lost. Is there any hope? You might be here today for the first time or have come a few times. You might not be a Christian or you might have heard the gospel story many times, but you've never responded to it. And you're hearing this story and you've seen the news and you're asking that question yourself. Is there any hope in this life? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely, there is. Yes. The book of Hebrews helps gives us this answer when it's talking about faith. Faith being not what we hope for, but certain of what we do not see. And it all points to Jesus just before that, and it gives us different examples of the Old Testament where faith has happened. And it starts with the example of Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. What is this saying? Well, there's someone who spilt his blood that speaks a better word, that goes further than Abel, and his name is Jesus. Jesus' blood covers the sin of Cain and the devastation of Abel. Jesus is the greater Abel, that his blood was spilt for the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is the replacement of Cain, not complaining about others and what they do, but making a way into a relationship with God and celebrating and encouraging others to do the same. Cain did the deed, it could not be undone. Abel's blood was spilt and poured out. For Jesus, it was the same. The deed had to be done. There was no other way. Even Pilate tried to wash his hands from it, yet the blood was meant to be spilt for him, for humanity, which includes you and I. So that the ultimate sacrifice was carried out. The adoption and justification of humanity. That you and I will be free forever. Jesus' blood was shed on the cross as the perfect fulfillment of Abel's slaughtered lamb. Or another way of putting it, as Spurgeon writes, the blood of Abel was not voiceless. And the blood of Jesus was not dumb. 
It cried so as to be heard amid the thrones of heaven. And blessed be God. It spoke for us and not against us. It spoke not worse things as it well have done, but better things than that of Abel. Today, you and I are covered by the blood of Christ. Amen. Praise God. It's good news. It's good news. The famous song says, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes us white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. You want to know a greater story? Well, the greatest story is Jesus. It's Jesus who restores. It's Jesus who redeems. It's Jesus who renews. It's Jesus who frees. If we start thinking that we can solve the problem ourselves, we become Cain's of sacrificing things in our own way, rather than humbly with faith, even if it's a mustard seed, saying, God, I will follow you to the end of my days. God's divine grace is something freely accessible to us. Even Cain was covered by a mark from God, by his grace. How much more are you covered by the blood of the Lamb? Do you want to stand with me? really feel like I want to respond in, in two ways here. And um, what we're going to do at the end, actually, I haven't asked this. Can you just play for a bit? It's all right. Just tinkle. Thanks. Tinkling, tinkling. <sighs> just feel like I want to encourage us. There's going to be at the end of the service a prayer team on your left, my right. And I think there's certain things that I think are really important to pray for. But the Bible also encourages us to encourage one another. So I want to respond in two ways. My first way is going to be praying to give your life to Jesus. And I'm going to do that in a second. The second way is going to be laying hands on one another, if you're comfortable with that, to pray for one another. As a way of encouraging each other to be aware of the crouching tigers, to be aware of the enemy. To, to stand firm. So Ephesians 6, it covers yourself with the armor of God and stand firm. And if there's deeper stuff that you feel challenged by that you want prayer about, then come speak to the prayer team. We want to lay hands and pray on specifics. But the call is not for the prayer team to pray. The call is for all of us to do so. So I want to respond by doing that. But first, I want to give space to those to, who are not covered by the blood of Christ, who are not chosen Jesus to choose him. So if you can, where you are, just for one another, for the love of one another, if you can close your eyes now. The Bible makes it really clear. If you're out of Christ, in the camp of Cain, if you're in Christ, you belong to Jesus, and you're free, you're sanctified, and you're his, and you're his forever. You today have a choice to give your life to Jesus. It's a free gift that costs everything. It's a simple decision with great faith. And I'm just going to help us do this by following a great thing that Alpha encourages us to do in terms of wording of sorry, thank you, please. It's called repentance. Sorry for what I've done. I repent for my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Please help me to live a life for you. 
And if you want to respond to the gospel for the first time, if you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time, then it's your choice. I'm going to say these words, and I want you to say them with your heart after me. And then while everyone's eyes are shut, I'm going to ask you with faith, a mustard seed of faith, because we know what God could do with it. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Everyone's eyes are shut, so it's between you and God. I've got my eyes open because pastorally it's helpful just to see. Just going to give space to allow you just to wait up. It's serious, but it's the most important decision you can make. Me marrying Catherine was not the most important decision I had to make in my life. It was belonging to Jesus. you want to pray this prayer for the first time, repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for the things that I have done. I'm sorry for doing things in my own way. I repent for my sin. Thank you, Jesus. You died for me. And by your blood, I am free. Please help me to live and live a life for you from today to the end of eternity, belonging to you. Your holy name, amen. While everyone's eyes are shut, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, can you lift your hand up now? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. You can lower your hands. It's been people who have returned home to the Father today. This is good news. This is good news. Now what I want us to do, Dave's just going to play in the background. Let's encourage one another. If you're comfortable, I want you to kind of turn around in twos or threes. I'll direct us when it's time to finish. I want you to turn around. I want you to lay hands. I want you to pray encouragement to one another and protection over one another. And as this is happening, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will move, and that if there's specifics that come up, today is the day to deal with it. It's not tonight, though you can. It's now. Deal with the tiger today. So if there's specifics that start coming up, I want you to come forward afterwards. There's going to be space. We want to lay hands. We want to pray of you, because that's what family is.